Reverend Jim Cantillon has been in ministry for 52 years as a pastor. I know you're surprised because he looks fairly young. <laughs> I need to encourage him. He's been a church planter, broadcaster, and founder of uh, a movement that we worked around together with, uh, uh, vision-led then, but now focuses his work on a movement called Working for Orphans and Widows. And all they do is provide home-based care um, in Zambia, Malawi, South Africa, and uh, also Southern India. And this work has gone on for the past 22 years. Um, the last time he was here, I think we mentioned the fact that one of the things that the Lord enabled them to do over the years is to establish a, a, a thriving work in Jerusalem called King of Kings Church. And he has gone on to do some amazing things. Uh, Reverend Jim Cantillon has authored 10 books. And he and Kathy have been married, as I said, for, the many, for, the, as, for as many years as they've been in ministry, 52 years. They are parents of three adult children, and they boast of 12 grandchildren. <laughs> May I invite you to please rise and help me welcome back to Not Mid Assembly, my big brother, Reverend Jim Cantillon. Okay. Well, I don't look old enough to be his big brother, but I think I'm old enough to be his father. <laughs> Please be seated. I love being here. Some of you weren't even born the first time I was here at Northmead. In fact, long before Bishop Banda came to Northmead, I was contacted by the Assemblies of God in Canada asking me if I would consider coming to pastor Northmead Assembly in Lusaka. Yes. And it just so happened that the government of Israel were in process of inviting Kathy and I to plant a church in Jerusalem. And so we went to Jerusalem and not to Lusaka. My apologies. <laughs> I met Bishop Banda, Kathy and I did for the first time, many, many years ago in Zimbabwe. We were at a conference together. And I had heard about Bishop Banda and Gladys and their ministry here in Lusaka. And I was impressed that they had been on the cutting edge of ministry to people afflicted with HIV and AIDS, both here in Lusaka and in surrounding areas. And the Lord had really laid a vision on us to call the churches of Africa to open their eyes and care for orphans and widows, in most cases, who were dying from HIV and AIDS. 
And so in 1981, we began our ministry. We called it Vision-Led at that time. Now we call ourselves WOW, Working for Orphans and Widows. I'm sorry? What did I say? Oh, <laughs> thank you. That's why Kathy comes with me. to. <laughs> see, I'm, I'm so old now, I forget. <laughs> By the way, people see Kathy with me and they say, it's got to be his third wife. <laughs> or, that's his daughter. Or, he must be very rich. <laughs> yeah, so 2000. We, we started Vision Lab, we now call it WOW. But um, I felt that we had to call pastors to waking up to the issue of orphans and widows. Your pastor was already wide awake, but most of the pastors throughout Sub-Saharan Africa were not because of the stigma and discrimination attached to HIV and AIDS. And so I began right here. The very first pastor's conference I ever had was right in this room, 21 years ago. Since then, we've had pastor's conferences all over the place, but more than that, we have seen pastors and churches, volunteers mobilized, and we have literally dealt with tens of thousands now of orphans and widows throughout Sub-Saharan Africa ministering to them as they're dying, leading them to Jesus before they die, but often seeing many recover. And we have seen all kinds of young adults, not only healed because of the care of orphans, because of the care of the volunteers, but also educated in the gospel and educated in their schools. And now when we go to Malawi um, tomorrow to visit our ministry there, we'll be meeting with several young adults who are in university, training to be doctors, lawyers, teachers, nurses, and they were orphans 21 years ago. And it's so fulfilling to experience this. Some of my colleagues in ministry look at me and they say, Jim, um, aren't you getting a little old? Should you not retire? And I say, retire? Why would I retire? Kathy and I have the biggest horizon we've ever had in our lives right now. With WOW, with our television show, which you can log on to, jimcandleontoday.com, or Jim Candle on YouTube, writing books, and traveling all over the place, preaching about righteousness and justice, which you've heard from me time and time and time and time again. <laughs> so October the 1st, when you're in your men's conference, I'm turning 75. I'm not sure if that's a good thing <laughs> or a bad thing. I don't care. When the Lord places his hand on your life and calls you to ministry, you, ministry, you minister until you die. Amen. And my family have been in the ministry since 1913. I am a fourth generation Pentecostal preacher. And I have uh, 
I think it's 12 ancestors now who were pastors, evangelists, church planters, missionaries, broadcasters, and I'm just standing on their shoulders. As is Kathy, with a long ministry history in her family. I would say to those of you who are parents, the most important thing you'll ever do is teach your children the way of the Lord. Nothing is as important as that. And to see your children and your grandchildren and your great-great-grandchildren loving Jesus and many of them in the ministry one day, doesn't matter if you're a billionaire. The greatest work you've ever done was modeling Christ to your children. I want to talk to you about true worship. Interestingly, worship comes from an old English word, worship. To worship God means to ascribe worth to God. And we ascribe worth to God, not just by what we say or by what we sing, but most importantly, by what we do. That's where we really worship the Lord, by the choices we make 24-7. I won't say more than that in terms of definition. But as I have been studying this subject over the 52 years of my ministry, and especially when we were pastoring in Jerusalem, I was constantly impressed with the call of the prophets of, of Israel in the Old Testament to true worship. And you've heard me before when I have talked about the um, essential bottom line of Old Testament prophecy, which is the call to righteousness and justice, right relationship with God, right relationship with neighbor. You've heard that from me many times. I'm not going to go there again. But it's interesting, as the prophets speak to Israel, there is often this very interesting sequence of if and then. If you will repent, or if you will do what is right, then I, the Lord, will do such and such. If and then. We're going to see it today. For instance, just as an example, in first, or I should say, Second Chronicles, chapter 7, verse 14, a verse many of you know by heart, uh, God is speaking to Solomon just after he's dedicated the temple. And in verse 14 of chapter 7 of Second Chronicles, he says, if, there's that word, if, if my people who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. There's the if and then. That's a classic example of what I'm talking about here. If my people will humble themselves and pray. Now, Israel, as you know from your own Bible reading, spent most of their time out of, out of touch with God. They forgot that he had delivered them from Egypt. They forgot that he had fed them for 40 years in the wilderness. They forgot that he had provided for them in so many powerful ways. Water out of a rock, manna from the skies. They forgot. And constantly they were reverting just to some kind of religious um, culture. Ceremony, liturgy, 
And they had holy days throughout the course of the year where they would put on their Sabbath best, whether it was a feast day or a fast day. And they would come together in a central location to purportedly worship this God that they'd forgotten. But the rhythms of their religious life called them to these moments of feasting and fasting in his name. The prophet Amos was really uh, angry at this. He was from Judah. He was from a little place just south of Jerusalem called Tekoa. But he prophesied to the northern kingdom of Israel. And this is what he said in chapter 5. I hate, this is God speaking. I hate, boy that's a strong word, eh? I hate. I hate, I despise, that's another strong word. I hate, I despise your feast days. I do not savor your sacred assemblies. Take away from me the noise of your songs. But... Let justice run down like waters and righteousness like a mighty stream. He was one of the prophets who said the same thing. If you're going to be in sync with heaven, you need to be in love with God and in love with neighbor. You need to be seeking the highest good for God and the highest good for neighbor. And as I said, righteousness and justice. That's what it's all about. Isaiah had some strong words, and I want to read them. Isaiah chapter 58. You might want to follow along. It's um, an amazing chapter, something that just grabbed me the very first time I, I read it years ago when I was just a young man. What's happening here? is the people of Israel have gathered together for a sacred assembly. You know, the very thing that Amos says, I the Lord hate, okay? And I gave you the reasons why. But the people didn't get it. And so they have come to Isaiah, the prophet, the man of God, with a complaint. They say, look, we've prayed, We've prepared. We're in our Sabbath best clothing. The sacrifices are all ready. We're religiously correct. Not politically correct, but religiously correct. That's a term that I'm using intentionally. And yet God has not shown up. Why? Why is God not here? Now Isaiah is reluctant to give the answer. Why is he reluctant? I'll tell you why. He's reluctant to prophesy because, listen to me now, a true prophet is always reluctant to prophesy. A true prophet is always reluctant to prophesy. There's enough, and I won't mention countries. You know who I mean. There's enough Western African countries very eager to prophesy. Okay? They're telling you all kinds of things. They can hardly wait to prophesy. A real prophet is reluctant to prophesy. Why? Because a real prophet understands that when he gives the word of God to the people, he's also giving the word of God to himself. Okay? He's a part of the problem, even though he's a prophet. 
But the Lord says to him, blast them with the truth. He says, cry aloud, spare not, lift up your voice like a trumpet, tell the people their transgression and the house of Jacob their sins. Now listen to this. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways. As a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the ordinance of their God, they ask of me the ordinance of justice. They take delight in approaching God. And then here's the question. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen? Why have we afflicted our souls and you take no notice? Now here's the answer from the Lord through the prophet. In fact, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and you exploit all your workers. Indeed, you fast for strife and debate, even to strike with the fist of wickedness, and you will not fast as you do this day to make your voice heard on high. Is it a fast that I have chosen, a day for a man to afflict his soul? Is it to bow down his head like a bulrush, to spread out his sackcloth and ashes? Would you call this a fast and an acceptable day to the Lord? Is this not the fast I have chosen? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free and that you break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry, that you bring to your house the poor who are cast out, when you see the naked that you cover them, and not hide yourself from your own flesh? Then, there's that word then. Then, when you do that, your light shall break forth like the morning. Your healing shall spring forth speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you, and the glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry, and he will say, here I am. If. Remember the if and then? If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger, speaking wickedness. If you extend your soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted soul, then your light shall dawn in the darkness, and your darkness shall be as the noonday. The Lord will guide you continually, satisfy your soul in drought, strengthen your bones, and you shall be like a watered garden. Like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Those from among you shall build the old waste places. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations, and you shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. I don't need to say any more. Isaiah said it all. Okay. Says the Lord. You've got this sacred assembly. Good for you. You're all dressed up in your Sabbath best. and You've prepared the sacrifices and you've had the pre-service prayer meeting and you, you, you know the, the, the choir is tuned and the orchestra is ready to go. You've got it all. But it's all about you. It's all about you. Everybody wants to be entertained. It's all about you. You seek your own pleasure. 
When in fact, true worship, friends, seeks to please the Lord. And we have to keep that in mind. We must seek His pleasure. So, you all seek your own pleasure rather than mine, says the Lord. And you dare to worship while you're guilty of injustice. You're exploiting all your workers. What does that mean? This was a time of prosperity in Israel. Actually, it was Judah, the southern kingdom. There was uncharacteristic talk of the winter homes and the summer homes of the well-to-do. Isaiah, if he'd wanted to, could have been driving a Porsche. Okay? Everybody was really well off. And they had servants and they had slaves. But at this time in, in their history, they not only had slaves and servants from the uh, vanquished nations around them, but they also had servants who were fellow Israelites. A fast day meant that everyone was to fast, that everyone was to be in the house of the Lord, but in this case, everyone was not there. The slaves and the servants, including many of their fellow Israelites, were not there because they were working to keep the economy moving. Okay? So what had happened was, this feast day, this fast day in this case, had become a venue for the well-to-do. It was unjust. Justice makes sure there are no economic distinctions between people. Justice makes no distinctions between good clothing and bad clothing. Justice makes no distinctions between a good smell and a bad smell. Justice makes no distinction between wealthy and poor. And yet this fast day was making all of those distinctions. The Lord says, if you want to worship me, is this not the fast I have chosen? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free and that you break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry, that you bring to your house the poor who are cast out, when you see the naked that you cover him, and hide not yourself from your own flesh? In other words, some of you are actually hiding yourself from your own family members. They're poor, you're not. They're not in the house of God, you are. This is bad form. Very bad form. And then the if and then. If you take away the yoke. <laughs> okay? If you extend your soul to hungry. Then your light shall dawn in the darkness. You know, friends, I've been pastoring a long time. <clears throat> Very long time. 52 years. I would never be able to count the number of people who have come to me privately and in church services with serious issues, big problems. 
not just in terms of physical healing, but psychological healing, relational healing, uh, economic healing, all kinds of things, all right? I listen and I pray. I've told congregations over the years, I'm not a counselor. The Holy Spirit is the counselor. I will listen to you, I will restate what I've heard, and then I will pray for you because my role is to be a priest, not a counselor. Some people don't like that because it doesn't take long enough. They want me to spend two hours with them, you know, and let them cry on my shoulder for two hours. And then they'll come back two days later for more two hours, and then another two hours, okay? You know, friends, and I mean this, much of our adversity, much of our affliction, much of our sorrow is a result of self-centeredness. We have become navel gazers. It's all about us. Okay? And when it's all about us, then every affliction under the planet has access to us. The way to deal with adversity is to minister to the adversity of others. You hear me? I had this guy come to me one day, and he was one of these chronic complainers, okay? And I was early in the ministry, so I was nice to him. You know, thank God, I learned in Jerusalem, in Jerusalem, because the whole world wanted to talk to me, okay? I learned in Jerusalem that being nice is not a fruit of the Spirit. Hallelujah! Sometimes you got to look people right in the face and say, enough of this, grow up. Build a bridge and walk over it. As we say in Hebrew, lech me po, out of here, I'm done with you. Share your bread with the hungry. Oh, I was going to tell you about this guy. Thanks, Kathy. He comes into my office, you know, oh, pastor, life is so hard. And he sits down and he starts to unload on me all of his problems. And see, the problem is I'd heard this three times in the last month, okay? The same story. Finally, I said to him, George, hang on, hang on a minute, hang on. You know, there's a new guy who's just started attending our church. His name is Robert. He sits over to my left, right in the front. You may have seen him. He looks kind of a strange looking fellow. He doesn't have many social skills and he's very shy. He's just committed his life to the Lord, but you know what? Robert has more problems than you do. What? <laughs> more? Yes, I said, he has more problems than you do. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to introduce yourself to him this coming Sunday. He likes to golf, so do you. I want you to invite him for a round of golf. I want you to treat him to dinner and I want you to be his friend for the next month. I want you to listen to him. I want you to be open to him and do everything you can to help him. Oh, really? Really? You want me to help him? I said, yes. A month later, George came back to my office to give a report on Robert. Hello, Pastor. How are you doing today? I said, how are you doing, George? Oh, the Lord is so good, Pastor. You know, he has transformed Robert's life. 
And I'm saying under my breath, and he's transformed you too. <laughs> You know, too often we want to come to the bishop and have him anoint us with oil and lay hands on us with the elders and perform radical surgery on us right there, okay? Our, our healing, our adversity, whatever, gone just because of that one moment. Sometimes that happens, but rarely, let's be honest. God will not short-circuit us when we are unjust. He waits for us to be just and loving with our neighbor, and then to be authentic in our love for God, okay? The one cannot exist with the other, without the other. Now, here's the kicker, and this, this really applies to Northmead. And this is, if you will, a word from the Lord for you. Verse 12, those from among you, these are those who become watered gardens, springs of water that never fail. Those from among you shall build the old waste places. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations and you shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. When I first heard about your pastor and your church in Zimbabwe 25 years ago. The report that impressed me at that time was your ministry to children on the street. I don't know if you still do. You still do? I've driven some of the streets of Osaka I've driven the streets of Kabwe and of Kitwe and of Luwancha and other places up in the Copper Belt. We've driven the streets of Lilongwe in Malawi. We've driven the streets of Chennai in southern India. I've driven the streets of, Cam of uh, Phnom Penh in Cambodia. We've driven the streets in Kampala, Uganda. I don't see many restorers of the streets. You are restorers of the streets. And why are you a restorer of the streets? Because you understand true worship. You are worshiping the Lord as you restore the streets. You're worshiping the Lord as you repair the breach. Now let's skip over to chapter 61. This is the passage that Jesus quoted when he just started out in his ministry and he was preaching at his synagogue in Nazareth. You remember that story? Okay. He read this passage that I'm now going to read. I'll just read the first five verses. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted to proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of the prisons to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, 
to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord that he may be glorified. Jesus quoted this passage because this expressed his mandate. This was his mandate. What's it all about? Justice. Now, I've had people offended by my emphasis on justice because they say Catalan has become one of them, their liberals. You know, he never talks, about, not true, but he doesn't talk about salvation. He just talks about justice and righteousness. Friends, we say we're saved, right? We say we're saved. Well, I'm here to tell you, you're not saved yet. You are saved by faith. The day of salvation is coming, and it will be known as the day of the Lord, when he will declare those who are his and those who are not. Until that day, we are walking not by sight, but by faith, yeah. believing that we are in process of being saved, and one day we will stand before him fully saved. Okay? That's a theological truth. You need to understand that. Okay? So the next time you say, I'm saved, under your breath or out loud, say, by faith. Okay? I'm saved by faith. Jesus' mandate was certainly to bring people to himself. Certainly to see them begin the walk of faith to the day of the Lord when they would be declared saved. Absolutely. But he also came to bring justice. Look at Isaiah 42, real quick. This is the faint, one of those famous servant passages in Isaiah. And again, it's about the Messiah. Behold my servant whom I uphold, my elect one in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him and he will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry out nor raise his voice because his, nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break. Smoking flax he will not quench until he brings forth justice for truth. He will not fail or be discouraged till he has established justice on the earth. Now, with this I conclude. Am I concluding too early, Pastor? I'm very sensitive to these things. I'm a TV guy, you know, I work to the second. And when they tell me I got 29 minutes and 54 seconds, I go 29 minutes and 54 seconds. <laughs> so I have this default. I'm always time conscious. Sorry about that. <clears throat> Look at verse 4 of 61. And they, the redeemed, shall rebuild the old ruins. They shall raise up the former desolations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the desolations of many generations. You're already doing this, Northmead. 
but you must continue doing this. In fact, you must do it even more than you have done in the past. You must be those who rebuild the old ruins. You must be those who redeem the broken streets. You must be those who go where the need is the greatest. For the sake of mandate Messiah, justice. When Kathy and I were pastoring in Jerusalem, just shortly before we had worked ourselves out of a job, and that's what I went to do, by the way. A lot of my pastor friends think I'm totally nuts. Jim, why did you ever leave Jerusalem? I would give my eye teeth to preach once in Jerusalem. You're there preaching every week, every year. Why would you leave? I said, because it's God's work and not mine. In the Lord's work, you got to know when to start. you got to know when to stop. And those that we trained are doing better without me than they were with me. Praise the Lord. Amen. You log on to King of Kings Jerusalem and you'll see what I mean. What a story. Anyhow, just as we were leaving, this very well-dressed American Israeli began to attend our church in Jerusalem. And she would drive up every Sunday from Tel Aviv. She was a widow, and she was, I think, quite well-to-do. She was very kind, she was very gracious, very courteous. But she was troubled. Pastor, it troubles me that every time I try to walk downtown on Dizengoff Street in Tel Aviv, I'm having to avoid the droppings from dogs. Now, in Israel, they call those droppings khaki, K-A-K-I. Khaki, which is, you know, a better word than the words we use <laughs> for droppings from dogs. Kathy and I, you know, we learned real quick in Jerusalem, we'd be walking down the sidewalk and we, we'd be avoiding khaki, okay? Just avoid, sometimes I, I would try to lead her through it just for a joke and she would lead me through it, her joke. So I've decided to start picking it up. Really? This very well-dressed, wealthy American Israeli picking up khaki from the sidewalks of Tel Aviv? And she did it for two, three years, all by herself. But you know what? People saw her doing this, and they were rebuked. These are Israelis. Look at what she's doing. We should do the same. And before you know it, there's hundreds of people picking up khaki from the sidewalks of Tel Aviv. And then it came to Jerusalem. And she invented something called a khaki saki. A khaki saki. A little plastic bag with stands placed on sidewalks. People would pick up the khaki, put it in the saki, and put it in the stand. And then the garbage man would come and pick it up. One woman has restored the streets of Israel. Wow. 
I don't know about you, and this couldn't offend you, but I'm from outside, so I can leave, and it's your problem. Are you ready for this? It's time to start cleaning up Lusaka. It's time to get rid of the garbage that is everywhere. We were at a beautiful school yesterday, founded by one of our champion partners in uh, Lusaka. It's in uh, Siavanga. You know Siavanga. Took us 12 hours going there and coming back. Anyway, we're right there overlooking Lake Kariba. And the headmaster of this beautiful school is showing it to us. Beautiful scene down there. Right over here, garbage, 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 garbage. I said, headmaster, what's up with this? Oh, whoa. I said, what? It's this beautiful scene and this ugly garbage. I said, you need to get your students to pick it up. Oh, the workers will pick it up. Well, the workers haven't picked it up yet. Clean up your city. Restore the streets. Get your young people involved with kakisakis. <laughs> no, I'm just using this as an example, okay? You understand what I'm saying. The thing is, as you pursue justice, people will see you pursuing justice and they will want to follow your lead. Final word. What I'm giving you here is an ancient prophetic message. It's not from Jim Cantle on the prophet, it's from the prophets of Israel. An ancient prophetic message that has been read and studied and quoted millions of times over the centuries. And sometimes, you know, in this modern era, we uh, have a kind of a latter-day superiority complex. And we think that the standards and the values of the past are passé, and we need to embrace the social realities of the 21st century and be modern in our view of things, right? Jeremiah has a good word for us in chapter 6, verse 16. Now listen to this. This is what the Lord says. Stop at the crossroads and look around. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it. And you will find rest for your souls. Friends, ask for the ancient paths. Renew your relationship with the God of the covenant. The God who says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. The God who says, I will feed you in the wilderness. I will protect you from the enemy. I will give my angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. And they will pick you up lest you dash your foot against a stone. Seek for this ancient covenant. And allow this covenant to be a modern day reality in your life. Too many of us are influenced unduly by social networks. 
Too many of us spend literally scores of hours every week on our mobile phones and our laptops. We spend far more time on the internet than we do with the Word of God. Is it little wonder that our cities and our nations are falling apart? North Mead Assembly is already there in many ways, but I pray, God, that you'll continue to be the restorer of the breach, the repairer of the streets, that you'll raise up the old desolations and bring freshness and newness to a nation greatly in need. Let's pray. Our Father, we're so grateful for your word. It is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. We want to be true worshipers, Father. <laughs> and we thank you for the spirit of Northmead. We thank you for the anointed singing and musicianship and the powerful leadership that the bishop is providing and with his staff. Lord, what a, what a vital living place this is. My prayer is, Lord, that it will be even more alive. As the next chapter unfolds, as new vision is cast, and as North Mead becomes more and more salt and light in a dark place. And I want to bless my brothers and sisters in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. We're grateful to God for his word. Let me ask the um, through worship choir to come as, as we wrap up. Very, very sobering indeed. And um, may, may the Lord grant us the capacity to act upon his word. That reference to Isaiah 61. Just so you know, Jim, um, our whole new vision and direction for POG Zambia is now focused on look for verse 18 and 19, which of course is from Isaiah 61, because we're looking at spirit-empowered transformation. I haven't had a chance to share this with you. So um, we see God in his sovereignty giving us very practical ways for actualizing what, what he has set before us in vision. And, and, and thank you for taking the liberty to just deliver that because it shows us some very practical things that are still there for us to do. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Let me ask us to rise.
And so this, as you can tell, is there for the taking for us as individuals, for us as ministries in the church. What um, Deaconess uh, Charity Kungulu and the prison and hospital ministry will be doing on the 24th is exactly in, in this realm. But there's much else for us. So I want us as we wrap up this service to be very practical in responding. I know Brother Chiwe here, as you saw, um, was almost unstoppable, but there was a burden in his heart. What a very practical thing. Just us showing up in the place, in the community. We're talking this year about community transformation. It, it can't be lip service. talked to a daughter in the in the in the church last week somebody put you know uh, a, a name the lord put a name on, on my heart that morning um, and so i picked up the phone and i called and, and this precious daughter was very very um, open and she said bishop thank you for calling i must she says i was talking to somebody and i was saying to them this is how these were her words she said bishop i won't i won't hide from you we've become so used we are always looking out for a link and become so used she says i was telling and she mentioned someone that you know it's time for us to get back to church and i was i felt touched i said no and i understand now why god put your name on my mind and I said, I just want you to know we're thinking about you. We're praying for you. But I, I, I appreciated that honesty. But we have to be brutally honest with ourselves in order for us to act when God speaks, as he has done this morning. So I want us to use these few moments for that level of brutal honesty. What must I do? What must you do to truly worship him? And we've heard it's not... These words we sing here and the prayers we pray here, no matter how genuine they are, it's the things we do for him and for those around us.